Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tipsy Ghost. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hey guys. Knock knock. Oh gosh, no, please. I'm so glad we're playing this game no, because I, hate I have this. one too. Who's there? Manson. <gasps> Manson, who? The tipsy ghost does Manson. Oh. I need to work on the punchline, but yeah, it needs some work. <laughs> Can I do mine before we start in? Yes. Knock knock. Who's there? Little old lady. Little old lady who? I didn't know you could yodel. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. Okay. Anyways, Boydston was probably more accurate about what we were actually talking about tonight. It's not Marilyn. It's the bad Manson. (laughs) I was like, Monroe? (laughs) Man, way off tonight. (laughs) Did you know know that that, um, Marilyn Manson's name comes from Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson? Oh, well, shipped? see, I wasn't that far off. Did, I did you not say know shipped? That. Shipped. The name is shipped. You know, like, yes, ben- Benifer <laughs> is like a ship name. Yes, I'm I'm asking because, like, the kids these days, mm-hmm. Why they ship pick- on on TikToks. That's um, why I was like, oh my God, are you, are you I am with not, the times? I, I no. Listen, I, shipping was around before TikTok. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know what shipping was. My kid had to explain it. Shipping to me. was around whenever Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez were mm-hmm. together the first time. I just thought, or like fan fiction, like shipping characters together. I don't. You, you guys are younger fiction. than no, me. Um, Draco and Hermione is Hermione. <laughs> that is a shipped relationship. Listen, I said we weren't going to jibber-jabber in, in the beginning. That's not our strong suit. We're talking about Charles Manson. Yes, we yeah. are. Yeah, so things are not great from the get-go mm. in this man's life. And we are also going to say that this is a two-parter. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we are only going to cover half of the Manson story uh, in this episode, and then you'll have to tune in next week to catch... The finale to the Manson story. So I'm going to talk about how things how things got started. Okay. Uh, and like I said, not great from the get-go. Charles Manson was born Charles Maddox in November of 1934 to a 15-year-old Kathleen Maddox in Cincinnati, Ohio. Shout out to Cincy. I've been there. You have been everywhere. I don't feel like that. Have you traveled the world <laughs> in my younger days? Is Cincinnati the world? <laughs> it's I'm part of the world traveler. <laughs> so bougie going to Cincinnati. I went, I went to a work conference in Cincinnati. <laughs> you don't need to brag, okay? Yeah. Wow. I know. Sorry. Cool. Uh, <sighs> Thank the, you. The consensus seems to be that his biological father was a Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. Too many names. From, I already forgot it. <laughs> from the Colonel Kentucky. Oh, the, the Colonel from he's from Kentucky. Yeah, I think that's... is it from Kentucky Fried Chicken. I think he is. Yes. That's how it started. Got it. Okay. Um, he worked in local mills and had the reputation of being a con artist. Boo. That mm, that Colonel not good. He told Kathleen that he was an Army Colonel. That's how he got the name Colonel. And when she told him she was pregnant, he's like, I gotta go. Like, the military just called official army business. Uh You know how it is. Uh So she was 15. I'm going to assume he was an adult if he was already a colonel. Yeah. Have to be at least, what, 18? Yeah, and I don't think they make (laughs) 18-year-olds colonels. He walked in as a colonel. Um, I think that it was probably untrue that he was a colonel at all. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so several months, that. he goes on official army business, of course, and several months go by before she realizes that he's not coming back. Aww. And so she has Charles 
all by herself. Okay. But she meets and marries a William Manson. And, uh, but she would often go out drinking with her brother, Luther, leaving a young Charles with various random babysitters. So William Manson's like, no, this is not cool. So they divorced after not even three years of marriage. And it was at that time that Charles retained the last name of Manson. So that's where Manson comes from. When he was only five, Kathleen and Luther, again, that's her brother, went to prison for assault and robbery. And Charles Manson then went to live with an aunt and uncle in West Virginia. And so it was there that in first grade, he was mocked by a teacher for having an imprisoned mother. And he went home crying. And his uncle was disgusted by him crying and made him wear a dress to school the next day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't like Hate that. it. Yeah. So his mother was paroled three years later. But even then, she continued to spend her evenings drinking and not really being present for him. At one point, she was arrested for grand larceny, but not convicted. They moved to Indianapolis, where Kathleen met a man at her Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and they married in 1943. When Manson was only nine, he set his school on fire because he was constantly getting in trouble for truancy. So I think his nine-year-old thinking was like, if there's no school to go to, then I can't get in trouble for not going to it. Or he's like, burn it all to the ground. Mm -hmm. Or step one. Yeah. Likes to set fires. Can you- We're building a triangle. Tell me what truancy is. That is not not going going to school. school. So if you do not go to school, the school marks you as truant, and then they call a truant officer, and they can get you in trouble and even get you taken away from your parents if it's serious enough. Can you tell- I always went to school. <laughs> and, okay. I didn't miss school. Hashtag humble brag. <laughs> I traveled the world and I always went to school. <laughs> I got the perfect attendance record. No, but I really did. I probably did. I did in middle school. I didn't yeah, miss a single day. Oh my day. gosh, you guys. I was always like, I don't feel good. Do I have to go? <laughs> I like to be social at school. Uh, okay. And that adds up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know my excuse. Boyd doesn't like to break rules. <laughs> oh, there it is. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. Anyway, together. so that happened. So he was then placed in a boys' school for delinquents that was run by Catholic priests. This school was notorious for being strict, punishing even small infractions with beatings by a wooden paddle or a leather strap. Manson ran away from the school, sleeping in the woods, under bridges, or really wherever he could find shelter. Man. Son. <laughs> I can't with you. <laughs> we, Have you been waiting to make that joke? No. no. Oh, okay. you, you just said man, and I was like, oh, yeah. It's a good joke. It felt right. <laughs> it did. He eventually fled to his mother and spent time with his aunt and uncle again, but only for about 10 months before he ran away from there. In 1948, when he was 14, he robbed a grocery store. Initially, he just wanted food, but then he saw $100 and took it, later using the money for rent for a room, which I don't know who rents a room to a 14-year-old. And also, he did end up buying some food. Maybe he looked old for um, his age. Maybe. For a time, he had a job delivering messages for Western Union, but then began supplementing his low wages with a petty theft and was eventually caught. And so the judge sent Manson to a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. And this is where he met a boy named Blackie Nielsen. And after only four days at the facility, they somehow obtained a gun and they stole a car. 
How are busy. Does <laughs> this place have guns for children to steal? I, I don't know. I have lots of questions. Okay, continue. They will not be answered, I'm afraid. No, they will not. They won't. Okay. <laughs> so they get the gun, the car, and they then commit a string of armed robberies on their way to Nielsen's home in Illinois. So from Nebraska to Illinois, these young boys are just going all crazy. So Blackie's uncle was a professional thief and allegedly took them on as apprentices. <laughs> oh, he said, let me show you how to steal for real. He's a self-proclaimed <laughs> professional thief. Uh, so this lasted for two weeks before Manson was arrested during a nighttime store raid. He's he, an amateur. Yeah, he did not pass the test. <laughs> the apprenticeship. <laughs> the apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. Okay, so he's arrested. He's arrested, and they were able to link him to two of the earlier armed robberies, and he was again sent to a strict boys' school in Indiana this time. Because this works out every yeah, time they do it this. it great the first time. Yeah, so it was at this boys' school that uh, Manson allegedly was raped by several students at the oh, encouragement okay. of a staff member Ew. and repeatedly beaten. Don't like this. So, of course... He ran away from the school 18 times, but when he was there, he developed his own self-defense technique called the insane game. So when he couldn't physically defend himself, because he's kind of a little scrawny guy, he would screech and grimace and wave his arms all crazy-like in an attempt to convince people that he was insane so that they would leave him alone. In the membrane? Uh, yep. Insane in the membrane. Mm -hmm. Sounds like he's breakdancing, honestly. So he escaped with a couple of other boys in 1951 when we, he would have been like 17, 18-ish. They were in stolen cars, robbing gas stations when they were arrested in Utah. This being a federal crime by driving stolen cars across state lines. He was then sent to Washington, D.C.'s National Training School for Boys. And on arrival, he was determined to be illiterate, but had an above-average IQ at 109. Yeah, because he never stayed in school long enough to learn <laughs> how to read. He was smart. I mean, yeah, I believe he was intelligent. But couldn't read. Yeah, he was also no it. noted to be, quote, aggressively antisocial. What? <laughs> Which I believe we've talked about this before, that most cult leaders are very intelligent. I yeah, I'm still stuck on the aggressive aggressively antisocial. antisocial. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that is accurate. <laughs> Later that year, he was transferred to a minimum security institution on the recommendation of a psychiatrist. He had a parole hearing scheduled for February, but in January, he was caught raping a boy at knife point, so no. he was then transferred to an actual prison in Virginia. No, 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 no. While there, he committed, quote, eight disciplinary offenses, three involving homosexual acts, end quote, and was moved to a maximum security prison back to Ohio, where it all started. He got out a year early for good behavior when he was 20, and he went to live with his uh, aunt and uncle again. Okay. In 1955, he married Rosalie Willis, a hospital waitress. Mm. Have you heard of a hospital waitress? Mm-mm-mm. Mm -mm. Like the, all I think about is, what are they called? Like the candy stripers or whatever? But they're not waitresses. No. It's essentially the people that deliver food. My first job was in a nursing home with side Sears. In the um, men's department. Yes, that. It was true. <laughs> but I worked in the nursing home as a waitress. Okay. So that's that a thing. That part is true. But it was actually like a restaurant where they came down to the restaurant. Oh, that's adorable. It was. And they circled what they wanted on the menu. Oh. And then I went back and got it and brought it out to them. <laughs> 
I Boydson love that. loves that so much. It was a that fun makes my heart job. so happy. Yes. I bet they were so excited. Let me go to the restaurant. Oh, they did. They loved it. Oh. It's a daily thing. Okay. Well, hopefully. <laughs> well, some didn't make it every day. <laughs> oh. But usually it's on my happy, choice. My happy feelings are gone. No. <laughs> Just went morbid real quick. It wasn't morbid. Trust me. They were mostly, one was, they, this couple was busy, if you get what I mean. They were often busy. They were getting busy. Yes. And they didn't want to come down. Okay. Um. So they got they got <laughs> pregnant and they moved to L.A. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Driving there in a car he stole of in course. Ohio. Yes, he hasn't changed. And got it. He That's was, where she got pregnant. He not in the car. <laughs> oh. No, I think okay. she was pregnant and then they moved. Oh. Okay. Um. But Ohio is yes the answer. Probably I don't Ohio know. They, they could the have answer. been they could have been on vacation when they got I don't know. Okay. They're pregnant. They went to L.A. Okay. Got it. <laughs> um. No matter where. <laughs> I thought you were saying they got pregnant in the car. I was confused. <laughs> We're in Ohio. I don't know. <laughs> and so he was know. he was again charged with a federal crime for driving a stolen vehicle oh, yeah. across yes. state yes. lines. Still that a crime. Is frowned Charles. upon. He got another psych eval and was given five years probation. He was given five years probation because they were going to get married and the judge kind of took pity like, oh, he's got this future. He's ex- yeah. They're expecting. So they got probation, which would have been a really nice break if he didn't fail to appear at the hearing. So he was again arrested. Charlie. His probation was revoked, and he was sentenced to three years in prison in L.A. During this time, Rosalie met and moved in with another man. They divorced her and Manson divorced the same year he was released on parole in 1958. So at this point, just to get your timeline right, he's 24. Okay. Later that year, he was, quote, Pimping a 16-year-old girl. Nope. And he received financial support from another girl with wealthy parents. And the next year, he pleads guilty to a charge of attempting to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check, claiming that he stole it from a mailbox. And for this, he received a 10-year suspended sentence, which was deferred for probation after a young woman named Leona Ray or Candy... Stephen made a plea to the court saying that she and Manson were deeply in love and she would get married if he were free. And they listened again. They're very nice. Um, they listened and they did get married and he took her and another woman to New Mexico for quote purposes of prostitution. There it is. So true love. But this violated something called the Mann Act, which in its original form, the act made it a felony to engage in interstate or foreign commerce transport of any woman. This is a quote, and I love it. Any woman or girl for the purposes of prostitution, debauchery, or for any other immoral purpose. So sex trafficking? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, debauchery. or you could say that. So he was held in question for this, but ultimately released pending further investigation. Again, he disappeared, violated his probation, and a warrant was issued for his arrest. So one of the other women were arrested in Texas soon after the warrant was issued, and then um, Manson was arrested too a few days later, and he was returned to L.A. So since he violated his probation for that check cashing charge, he was ordered to now serve the original 10-year sentence. So while in prison, he takes guitar lessons from notorious gang leader uh, Alvin Creepy Carpies? Carpus. His it. name is Alvin Creepy? That's his nickname. Oh, uh, Creepy. He also got the contact info of Phil Kaufman with Universal Studios. 
Um, he led hypnosis sessions for other inmates, which included. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it included now actor Danny Trejo. Oh. Yeah. So Machete from Dusk Till Dawn, oh. The Curse of La Llorona, yes, the him. American Horror Stories season called The Naughty List. I think it might be the most recent. I was like, that one I've not seen. He played Santa. I've definitely not seen that. Danny later described Manson as a dirty, greasy, scrawny white boy who was a talented hypnotist. Oh. So Manson and Leona were candy. Divorced in 1963 when he was 29. During the divorce process, she alleged that they had a son named Charles Luther. Oh. Manson was released in March of 1967, and as of that time, he had spent more than half of his 32 years in prisons and other institutions. He told authorities that prisons had become his home and requested to stay, and maybe they should have considered it a little more than they did, because foreshadowing. I um, will add that a lot of people with antisocial personality disorder like prisons because it gives them the structure that mm -hmm. they like. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I have heard that a lot of uh, antisocials that I have met, they prefer prison. Huh. It may have been a better fit for him. It might have. So he was later quoted as saying, Manson, quote, the mind is endless. You put me in a dark, solitary cell. And to you, that's the end. To me, it's the beginning. And it's the universe in there. There's a world in there and I'm free. So you know, I think he might have been a part of that human potential movement that we talked about mm -hmm. during love has won mm -hmm. he could have led any of those oh i'm sure <laughs> so i'll leave you with another manson quote from his 1986 book called manson in his own words destroying oh. the myth the true confessions of charles manson did he title that himself i'm sure he did <laughs> clever so, it's kind of a long one but i thought it was that's what she said mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty interesting. <laughs> Quote, asking me not to break the rules of society is like telling your kid not to eat candy because it's bad for him. The kid will continue to eat candy until you take it away or until you prove why he shouldn't. You also need to provide substitutes for the candy you have denied that child. I was told often enough what was bad, but I was never given a substitute or the opportunity to try another world until I had already become so defiant and twisted. I no longer cared about someone else's right or wrong. By then, I could not see enough honest faces in the world to pattern myself after. Your Bibles didn't mean anything to me. A Bible had driven my mother from her home. The people you chose to raise me beat and raped me and taught me to hate and fear. From what I have seen throughout my life, the laws of the land are practiced only by the little guy. Those who have money and success abuse every law written and get away with it. I admit my reasoning comes from the wrong side of the tracks, but once these opinions are formed and reinforced a few times, it's hard to believe otherwise. So even if I don't shed a tear, I console myself with this. I had some help in becoming the person I am. A lot of, uh, not wrong a lot of nurture went into this yeah. one, if we're going nature versus nurture. <sighs> yeah. A lot of trauma. Okay. We are in LA with Manson. He moves to Berkeley. And he is now under probation with Roger Smith. So Roger also happens to be a criminology doctoral researcher, and he worked at the Height Ashbury Free Medical Clinic. Halfmas. Oh, yeah. I know about Halfmas. <laughs> <laughs> so he actually received funding from the NIH, the Nas 
National Institute of Health to study the effects of drugs like LSD and meth. And Manson was one of the main subjects of this research. Hmm. Interesting. Because Manson liked the LSD. Yes, he did. That's what I'm getting at here. So David Smith. Lucy in the sky with diamonds. We're going to be singing a lot this episode. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Did you know that's what that song was about? Was that LSD? LSD, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought you meant Manson at first. I was like, okay, yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. LSD. He likes the Beatles, too. He does like Mm -hmm. the Beatles, which we will get to. So David Smith, no relation to Roger Smith, but David Smith is the founder of this medical clinic. And he wrote that the change in Manson while using LSD was, quote, the most abrupt that we had observed in his entire professional career, end quote. So Manson also began practicing his own philosophy during this time based off quite a few things. Um, A science fiction novel called Stranger in a Strange Land also took some things from the Bible, Scientology, Mm -hmm. Dale Carnegie, and the Beatles. Mm -hmm. So kind of like everything. (laughs) Manson had already gotten his first follower at at the University of Berkeley, or UC, so sorry, University of California, Berkeley. Um, and this was Mary Brunner, and she was a librarian there. So he was kind of looking for a place to stay and basically talked her into letting him sleep in her house, and then that became a permanent arrangement. So from there, he meets Lynette from who we're going to call Squeaky. Obviously. Yes, that was her nickname. <laughs> and she's going to show up quite a bit throughout these next two episodes. So Squeaky. All right, so she is a runaway teenager, and she moves in with them. Eventually, he convinced Mary to let 18 women live with them at once. As one does. Mary is very nice. Yeah, I guess so. Um, So Manson begins around this time to attract large crowds of listeners and even more followers. And this is the summer of 1967, and this is the summer of love and the hippie movement. And he basically became the signature hippie. In mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. Also, Manson may have borrowed from some philosophies from, it's called the Process Church of the Final Judgment, which states that at the end times, Jesus and Satan will reconcile and judge humanity together. So we're going to come back to that end times kind of thing, but he was also obsessed with that. Hmm. So Manson accrues this following. They are all mostly female. There were a couple males, but mostly females. And the media began calling them the Manson family. So he taught them that they were the reincarnation of the original Christians and the Romans were the establishment. Some weird things about them. Um, there was no birthdays. They did not celebrate birthdays. Uh, they had no watches because he told them that time doesn't matter. Time is a fluid <laughs> thing. So they didn't have watches. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he essentially targeted people who were easy to manipulate, people who were emotionally insecure, I almost said emotionally secure, <laughs> emotionally <laughs> insecure, and social outcasts, meaning they were runaways or they didn't have, um, not that they didn't have families to go home to because a lot of them were middle class, upper middle class families, mm-hmm. but that they were running away from their families. David Smith also wrote that Manson attempted to reprogram their minds, quote, to submit totally to his will, end quote, through the use of LSD and, quote, unconventional sexual practices, end quote. Oh, my unconventional aka yeah. orgies, orgies. <laughs> and he said that he did this so that quote they would be empty vessels that would accept anything he poured i know we all kind of talked about this earlier but we all watched a lot of documentaries about yes. this this week yeah we've been all about manson this week 
And in one of the documentaries, like one of the followers said that it was no big deal to just see like people. She she said making love. I'm going to say having sex <laughs> next yeah. to her. And it was no big deal. Like there was just a lot of sex happening in the house. Yeah. All right. So another follower testified later that Manson would encourage them to use LSD, but he himself would take lower doses. So that way he was still always in control. So he'd be using <laughs> LSD, but not as much as them. Okay. By the end of the summer of 1967, they were now basically living in an old school bus that they had redesigned, and it was a, pretty much like a hippie shack. <laughs> and they were traveling all over from L.A. to Malibu to Venice. So Brunner becomes pregnant. She was the original member of the librarian. She becomes pregnant by Manson and gives birth to a son in April of 1968. And his name is Valentine Michael. And they gave birth in a condemned house. <laughs> in Malibu and did not go to the hospital and the other women in the family just, you know, were there to help. So Brunner was sometimes called Mother Mary and April 1968 when this happens, they have about 20 or so followers. So a lot of the followers have said during this time, this summer and, you know, up until 1968, it was all just love. Like that's what he was preaching. That's what drew them all in. It was all just love, love, love. Love everyone. Love everyone. And they were hippies and they were just having fun and using LSD and that's what they were about. Okay. Their core members, I'm just going to briefly name them because their names are going to come up later. Charles Tex Watson, who is a musician and a former actor. Bobby (laughs) Busillet. I still cannot get his last name right. (laughs) Busillet. All right. So he was a musician and a pornography actor. Alrighty. Brunner, kind of like what we said, the librarian or Mother Mary, Susan Atkins, Linda Casabian, Patricia Kreenwinkle, Leslie Van Houten, and Squeaky. Casabian, right? Casabian? Casabian. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was Casabian. Casabian. That's fancy. That's what Cas- I thought I heard Cassabian. in the documentary, but I could be wrong. All right. So Manson continues to grow his family, and this time he's also through drug use, like we talked about, but also prostitution. Boydson kind of alluded to, he had a history there. So he was still, during this whole time, being supervised, I'm going to put that in quotation marks, by mm-hmm. his parole officer. But he was arrested during this time, and the charge was even reduced to a misdemeanor with three more years of probation. Mm-hmm. So then, again, he was arrested a second time and arrested with the family in July 1968 because their bus crashed into a ditch and they were found sleeping <laughs> naked. God. With the newborn baby. Oh, my God. (laughs) By police. And so police arrested them, but he was released a few days later on a drug charge. So he's, like, getting arrested for these drug charges and prostitution things while on parole. And they're just, like... No consequences. Yeah, marking it down to misdemeanor. Like, oh, more years of probation. Okay. He's like, It's really working for you. Let's do some more. Listen, it's a summer of love. I don't know what's going on. Jeez. (laughs) Okay, so... Doomsday, we're going to come back to this. So the doomsday cult kind of thing. So Manson became fixated on this idea of an apocalyptic race war between the black population and the white population. And if you could, if you don't know anything about Manson, you probably know he has a swastika on his forehead. He did, yes. So he was a white supremacist. Mm-hmm. You're not catching that. <laughs> Very racist. Very racist. Mm-hmm. So he told the family that essentially black people in America would rise up and kill all of the white people except for Manson and the family. But they were not, they meaning the family, were not intelligent enough to survive on their own and needed him, God. a white man, to lead them and be their master. Yeah. 
So he was obsessed with the Beatles and believed that racial tensions would erupt soon and thought that the Beatles foretold all of this in their songs. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of found that funny that he like thought it was going to be this giant racial war in America and he picks a British band right. that is foretelling all of this. But okay. Right. But they're popular and everybody loves yes, them. Everybody loves the Beatles. Okay. So Manson then adopted the term Helter Skelter from their song. Um, to refer to this upcoming war. He predicted that murders of white people. So he predicted that black people would essentially kill white people. And this would be met with retaliation. And then a split would occur between, you know, white people and black people, racist and non-racist people. And it would lead to basically white people destroying themselves. Because we would split ourselves up into the racist white people and the non-racist white people. Okay. That was his theory. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's where Helter Skelter kind of comes from, and that's going to come into play later with the murders. At the height of his cult, he had about 100 followers. Like I said, most were young women from middle-class backgrounds, and they were drawn to the hippie lifestyle and the communal living. A former member said that they believed that Manson was a manifestation of Jesus Christ, and he would reenact the crucifixion frequently when they were on LSD together. And I watched in this interview, and they were like, the interviewer was like, so did you believe that he was Jesus Christ? And she's like, it was very realistic. <laughs> like, I'm sure what? it was on LSD. Like, did how, somebody like nail him to a cross? I was going to say, how do you make the crucifixion like realistic? <laughs> this is a very gory and graphic thing. Yes, I don't know. LSD is a powerful drug. <sighs> That's true. That is true. He was described as, quote, a nice guy, end quote. Oh, <laughs> Aren't all the cult leaders described as nice guys? Very charismatic, Yes. He met many actors and music producers, as well as Universal Studios producers. He would preach against materialism, but one day when he was preaching against materialism, um, a not a follower because they weren't with his cult, but uh, someone who was listening questioned him about his bus because they're like, hey, you got a really nice bus there. It's got a lot of nice furniture. So he threw the keys to the person and watched them drive away and apparently had no reaction to this. Hmm. <laughs> I'm like, weird. the poor women in his family were probably like, that's our home. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully the baby wasn't on the bus. Yeah, hopefully they were all off the bus. Uh-huh. Um, he was described as a dynamic personality with an ability to read a person's weaknesses and easily manipulate them. Mm. Which, accurate. If you want to bake a cake of cult leaders right there, that's probably it. <laughs> Baking a cake. <laughs> Baking a cake. I bring it back. <laughs> yes, here it is. <laughs> all right. So one of probably, I think, the weirdest interactions with Manson was with the Beach Boys. So Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, he picked up two of his followers, Patricia Krenwinkel and Ella Jo Bailey, and they were hitchhiking. This is spring 1968. They're high as a kite on LSD. So Dennis, he brings them back to his house, and then he leaves to go record. And he comes home like two, three in the morning from a night recording session. And Manson is just standing in his driveway. (laughs) And so Wilson's like, "Um, are you going to hurt me? (laughs) Because he didn't know who this guy was. And Manson said no. And then kissed Wilson's feet. Because that's what you do. That's normal. Yeah. Mm. I I don't. Yeah. (laughs) I like I was trying to think of like that was like him trying to be like Jesus where Jesus washed people's feet or if that's just him being like, no, I'm not going to hurt you. Let me kiss your feet. I don't know. I don't know. He did it. I don't know. So then Wilson walked inside with Manson and found 12 strangers in his home, (laughs) mostly women, and just decides to let them stay. (laughs) 
I'm sure they were naked. Probably. Yeah, that's probably true. There might have been an orgy happening. Yeah. So Manson, when he recalled this incident later, he said that he met Wilson at a friend's house and that Wilson had given him his address and invited him to come by whenever he was near. So that's why he showed up. So who knows? He said he said. So Wilson, um, he said he talked to a group of strange women and they told him that they had a guru, a guy named Charlie. Okay. So over the next few months, more and more women are just coming to Wilson's house and staying there. And he paid almost $100,000 in that time, basically to house them, including a large medical bill for treatment of gonorrhea. (laughs) No. I was curious about that. (laughs) They were not having safe sex. (laughs) Ew. Um, And they destroyed a car. So he had to spend $21,000 there to reimburse that car. So he spent a lot of money is what I'm getting at. And he's a very famous guy. <laughs> There's a joke there somewhere about the clap, but I couldn't, I couldn't think of it. <laughs> a large medical bill is said. <laughs> so I'm just thinking how many people probably had gonorrhea. A lot of clapping. There's Round of, of applause. Clapping. Round of applause at the home. <laughs> Come on, I know you can think of something. I love it. All right. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Wilson and Manson would sing... And talk to each other while the women were treated as servants to them. So Wilson even paid for studio time for Manson to go into the studio and record songs. And he introduced him to several entertainment business acquaintances, including Rudy Altabelli, who rented a house later to Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. So important names to remember there. So Wilson eventually moves out of the home um, because he was renting it and the lease expired. And when he moved out, the landlord evicted the rest of the family. They then began living in a rundown ranch called Spawn Ranch in L.A. County. And this is still 1968, just the end of 1968. Fun fact, you cannot go to the ranch because it burned down in 1970 due to a wildfire. Oh. In case you wanted to go there, you cannot. Good to know. (laughs) The ranch are foiled. (laughs) They are foiled. (laughs) The ranch had been a television and movie set for Western movies, but it was deteriorated and no longer, not longer, no longer being used for movies. Um, so it's kind of cool, like, seeing videos and pictures of them there because it was, like, a movie set that they were living on. Ooh, it was like a ghost town. Yeah. It was kind of creepy looking, too. Mm. So there was the owner who lived there. He was 80 years old, and he was blind, and his name was George Spawn. At the ranch? At the ranch. Okay. At Spawn Ranch. This is George Spawn. I'm with you. <laughs> so the female family members would do chores and help him out because he's 80 and blind, and they would basically be his eyes And in exchange, George let them live there for free. Okay. So things kind of take a turn while they are living there. Manson starts getting more paranoid. They start giving them, them, the family, lessons on defending themselves. They start accumulating knives and guns at the ranch. And the members said it was no longer a place of love. November 1968 is when Manson and Watson, Watson meaning Tex, visited an acquaintance who played them the Beatles, and that is when Manson became more obsessed with the idea of Helter Skelter and the race war. He's just obsessed, isn't he? Fun fact. The Beatles. so obsessed with me? Another great Beatles song. I love that classic (laughs) Beatles song written by John Lennon. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. Fun fact. The Beatles were interviewed about why they came up with the name Helter Skelter. Uh Uh-huh. Did you hear about that? I did not. It was a children's ride at an amusement park. So not a race war. It is indeed not a race war. It's got a nice ring to it. Listen, he did not listen to Imagine because that was not about a race war. Was it about dragons? 
Yes. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, I think that's where they got that name. Imagine all the dragons <laughs> living life in peace. <laughs> I don't think anything was about what it truly was in his mind. <laughs> he no, turned that, everything around. That's that LSD. <laughs> There's a lot of acid. I don't know how he even survived all that. All right. So like Lindsay mentioned, things started kind of taking a turn. And we're going to go to July 1st, 1969. And that is when Tex Watson... Remember, he's from Texas. Yes. He became involved with drug dealing and robbed a drug dealer named Bernard Lotsapapa. That's his nickname. Crow. Oh, there's so many nicknames <laughs> in the story. That did, apparently was not, that's a thing in the 60s. Did everybody have nicknames in the 60s? Tex, he, he robbed Lotsapapa. Yes. All right. And Crow, had he, was, he was not happy about this. So he retaliated by making threatening remarks to kill everyone in the Manson family. And because of these threats... Charles Manson himself shot Lots of Papa on July 1st, 1969. He thought he killed him, but he didn't actually die. So, surprise. Uh, but he thought he did because he saw lots of reports um, and it was confirmed. Lots of Papa reports. <laughs> lots of ports. I saw it. I see what you did there. Thank you. Keep them coming. It was a joint effort. I like it. Well, his Lots of Papa's death was supposedly confirmed in Manson's mind because uh, Manson saw a news report about the body of a Black Panther that had been dumped in L.A. So obviously it was Lots of Papa. Oh, okay. Yes, obviously. But it wasn't. And he wasn't actually a member of the Black Panthers, but Manson didn't know this. So he assumed incorrectly. Yeah. And you know what they say when you assume. I do. You're wrong. <laughs> that is what they say. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Manson then also assumed that there would definitely be a retaliation from the Black Panthers when they found out it was him that shot Lots of Papa. Uh-huh. So he became on high alert from a potential retaliation from the Black Panthers. And again, he made this up in his own head. Own head. Then I know this was happening. Thank you, LSD. Um, aside from the fact that he shot, shot him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he turned the ranch into a defensive camp with armed guards 24-7. On July 25th, 1969, I'm going to tell you about the murder of Gary Hinman. So Gary Allen Hinman was a music teacher and PhD student at UCLA. And he also befriended a few members of the Manson family and would occasionally allow them to stay at his house. Apparently, this is a thing with the Manson family. Yeah, people just let them come and live. There's moochers. Definitely. Good grief. Um, According to members of the Manson family, Hinman was believed to be wealthy even though he really was not. So this obviously made him a target for Manson, and he convinced Bobby Boussoulet, Mary Brunner, and Susan Atkins to go to his home and try to get Hinman to give them all of his money. The three members of the Manson family held Gary Hinman hostage for two days until Manson decided that something needed to be done at this point. He had been carrying on for far too long, so he showed up at the house with a sword, Naturally. He's such an amateur thief. Who does that? What you get for not pa- passing your apprenticeship. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of flaws Where do here. you get swords? <laughs> also, before the internet, where did you get a sword? Maybe it was a movie prop at the ranch. <gasps> Maybe. But then it would be a fake sword. People still carry swords. <laughs> do they? Oh, did I ever tell you about the time Mike and I were at Taco Bell? <gasps> And you saw a guy what? With a sword? <laughs> oh, I didn't tell you. So, no. Mike and I, we were at Taco Bell in the drive-thru, and it's one of those drive-thrus where once you're in it, you're stuck. Like, there's no, oh, there's a curb, mm. and so there's yeah, no it's way over. out. Those give me anxiety. And so, this guy, it, he came. <laughs> what if there's an emergency? <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I have literally never thought of that before Ever? in my life in a drive-thru. <laughs> no. I 
avoid those drive-throughs. Oh it's my always gosh, Taco you guys Bell are so funny. Yes. So uh, we're just waiting in line. Of course, it's always busy. It's Taco Bell because they're delicious. Yes. And this guy walks up to the car, and <laughs> you can tell there's he's unwell. There's pro- probably drugs and definitely some mental illness. And um, he starts just yelling at us. We're not engaging. And so then he starts getting even closer. And, like, I'm in the passenger seat. And he gets right up to my window. And he's like, I don't know. You want to fucking fight? And he's like, you're just going to sit there and make fun of me? Which we weren't even talking. We were just kind of in stunned silence. And so eventually he lifts his shirt up. And there is a sword in his pants. And it's not like a penis joke. Like, there is an actual sword. <laughs> There is a sword in his pants, and he's like, "I'm gonna key your fucking car." And then With he the like, sword? yeah. So what? he like starts to like get the sword out, and Mike uh, tries to defend us, and um, <laughs> like was yelling at him, and yeah. So there happened to be like some like random public safety, like it wasn't a police, but like a security, uh, a hired security just down the street, and he wasn't even on duty. He was just like waiting for his girlfriend to get off of work. Um, but he sees this happening and then the guy sees how we're being defended mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, well, never mind." And he just keeps yelling, but he's walking away and he walks towards the security guy and Mike yells over like, that guy's got a sword. You need to be careful. And this whole time I'm on the phone with the police, like there's a man with a sword in his pants. <laughs> <He's-> <laughs> it's real. It's not a euphemism. <laughs> we're at the Taco Bell. I don't mean his penis. <laughs> So, yeah, I was threatened with a sword at Taco Bell. See, that just proves my point of anxiety because you couldn't get out no, of the drive-thru. Exactly. See, Lindsay? Okay, that makes sense now That's what that I'm I talking know that about. History. I mean, I had that anxiety before the story, but that I just did, confirms it. I did too. And we have never been to that Taco Bell since. I would never go back to that Taco Bell either. No. <laughs> anyway, Not worth it. Go ahead. Anyway, all right. Well, Manson showed up at Hinman's house with, a sword. with his sword. Yeah. <laughs> That's where and we are. Sadly, he cut off Gary Hinman's ear. At this point, Manson was worried that Hinman was going to end up going to the police after he cut off his ear. Sure. So he looked to Bobby Boussoulet and said, you know what to do. So Bobby Boussoulet took that as instruction to stab Gary Hinman to death, while Mary and Susan took turns holding a pillow over his face. Before they left the house, the Manson family members wrote, quote, political piggy on the wall in Hinman's blood, along with a panther paw print in an attempt to sway police towards the Black Panthers. Boussoulet left a fingerprint at the scene, though, and six days later, police found him asleep in Gary Hinman's car on the side of the road. The murder weapon was also found in the tire well of the car. Smart. Amateur. Amateur. (laughs) Yes. It's the LSD. (laughs) Anyhow, they ran his fingerprint, and shocking, they found a match. So he was booked and sent to prison. When Manson found out that Boussoulet had been caught, he kind of panicked, and he decided that he had to create a string of copycat murders to distract the police. Um, So he decided that someone rich and famous had to die. Hmm. He also needed to make sure that members of the family were still under his spell. You know, because things weren't really going in his direction. This whole helter-skelter race war wasn't exactly happening like he's saying it's going to. So he's, like, trying to make them still um, believe him. So he would tell the followers, just like you were talking about earlier, uh, that he was similar to Jesus because his last name meant son of man. Manson. Oh, you know what? 
That's true. It does mean that. I uh, think. It does not. <laughs> Adam means son of man. Actually, <laughs> what does what does man son mean? It's, I feel like it means it son means of man. Man's son. Oh, oh okay. Obviously, that's different. This. He makes some good points. I would have believed that one. So he would also tell them. <laughs> Again, this is how you get swept up into the cults. <laughs> it doesn't take much. <laughs> we have talked about this. You're like, I would have believed him. You're like, yeah, that's, that's great. I'm like, you know what? You got a point. Before the age of the internet when you couldn't look things up. An I, orgy cult with drugs and swords. That sounds not terrible. In the clap. Ooh. The clap sounds yeah. bad. My favorite part, though. <laughs> What's the- was that he would tell them he was spiritually endowed. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. His spiritual sword is oh, huge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, anyhow. It's Ella's dick. Oh, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like the name of really bad porn. <laughs> All right, back to uh, spiritual endowment. Yes, he was endowed. That's yeah. where we were at with the Ella's dick. Yes. That's right, yeah. He was <laughs> elevated. About the rest of mankind. Yeah, yes. he was. <laughs> because he was Jesus Christ. Yes, he was. Superstar. Yeah. Okay. Ah, yes. He called it mystical manipulation, which is kind of catchy, if you ask me. Eminem. Yeah. It's one of the elements of mind control. That's what he said. Uh, the followers believe that he was a prophet and that their prophet had predicted a race war that he called Helter Skelter. And that's coming any minute. And it hasn't happened yet, but he's just saying it's happening. This murder didn't make it happen, so we're going to make the police think it's the Black Panthers. and It's going to happen. You just He's wait. He's going to make it happen. Stop and trying to make Helter Skelter happen. <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he he's, just keeps saying over and over, Helter Skelter is going to happen. And um, that the point of it would also be, in addition to everything that Lindsay talked about, the police would basically be, just be too busy dealing with the rebellion um, to look into the Hinman murder so that eventually they could rescue Bobby Boussoulet. And that yep. was the point of starting some of these copycat murders along the way. To get the heat off of Boussoulet, basically. Yeah, so they could spring him out of jail. Is that what they do? Break him out. Spring him out. Spring you know, him out. I don't think that sounded very hardcore. We're going to bust him out. There we go. We're going to spring him out. <laughs> I'd probably spring someone out. Get some trampolines. <laughs> <laughs> just bouncing up to see us in the window. Spring hey someone guys, over, and then me. that person, like Sarah. you know, stands them on their thigh and springs them over. <laughs> Look at cheerleading. Yeah, <laughs> gotta have a really strong base. <laughs> Please do not call Sarah if you need busting out of jail. <laughs> Unless you'd like to have a really <laughs> poor cheerleader stunt. <laughs> And that's where I'm leaving you, on that cliffhanger. I feel like things get worse. They get much worse, unfortunately. So we'll talk about that, though, in part two. Part two. Part two. It's going to tie everything together. And it's... Unfortunately. It's it's a lot. Mm -hmm. So we kind of... I feel like many people know who Manson is. If you don't, you've pretty much been under a rock for the past, you know, 40, (laughs) 50 years. But he, this was kind of about him and the cult and how he really started getting his following. Next week, we are going to cover the murders in depth, the trial, the investigation, and kind of what has happened since the murders. So make sure you tune in next week to catch the end of our Manson episode. Mansaga. Ooh. Fancy. Thank you. (laughs) Anything else you guys have to add to Manson? No. No, he's endowed enough. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in this week to our 
Charles Manson episode. Part one. Part one. Part one. Is <laughs> that too much? No. <laughs> you did great. I know you just wanted to be included. <laughs> Make sure you tune in next week for our part two. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We will catch you guys next week. Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it, and it really does help. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.